how's everybody doing here in New Albany? Um, what a great thought. Um, Matthew 5.14 says um, that we are the light of the world and that a city on a hill cannot be, like, put away or protected or, or blocked, that the light is going to penetrate, that people are going to see it, that people are going to know it's there. And um, that's amazing that we get to be a part of that. That's why we're called 514 Church, Jeff. That's sweet that you just uh, sang that. I want to welcome everybody um, uh, that's watching online. Uh, today we have a guest speaker, Mark Malin, and I want to take a minute and introduce him to you. Um, I was definitely and am still recovering from the worst case of strep throat known to man. Um, I was literally in bed for three days, and I lost 13 pounds. So uh, all the rest of you gained 13 pounds, and I lost 13 pounds. So to me, that's a 26-pound uh, swing. I'm ahead of the game. Um, but uh, a lot of times when pastors get sick, you know, they find somebody, just anybody to go and do the speaking and come in and, and, and fill in. And uh, this week, I definitely needed someone to, to help me out. Um, but uh, actually, Mark was slated to speak last week, and because of a scheduling conflict, we had to move it to the first of the year. And so whether I was sick or not, Mark was going to be communicating to you guys and sharing with you guys. Mark Malin, in 1984, he went to a church in Chicago, Illinois, that was completely committed to reaching people that don't know God, people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a church, a local church that said, we are not just going to be about ourselves. We are going to be about the people who aren't about what we're about. We're going to be about the people who don't um, come around to this. And we're going to try to create um, a group of people that are so sticky and contagious that people from uh, all walks of life want to be a part. And they want to find out why we love each other so much in the way we do. And uh, it's because of Jesus. And we want the people that don't know Jesus to meet him. And in 1984, uh, Mark and his wife, Rhonda, who are sitting here in the front row, they went and they saw this and they, they just got... They just got invigorated with starting a church that would do this. And so for 29 years, uh, Mark has been the lead pastor of a church in Oak Brook, um, or it's called Oak Brook. It's in Kokomo, Indiana, and it is a thriving, busting church in a relatively small town. Thousands of people, thousands of people come out. Um, he has reached so many. He loves, loves, loves the lost. He loves leading the church. And um, he's a great pastor, a great speaker, but he's also a great husband. He's been married for 32 years, I think he just told me. He's got four kids, three girls, and, um, and a boy. And he just absolutely is a great husband. He's a great father. He's a great leader. He's a great speaker. And um, you're going to see when he gets up and communicates with you guys that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because he's also Carmen Smith's dad. And, uh, and so you're going to get to see uh, why Carmen is gifted the way she is, has the passion that she has because she grew up around it. And it's in her and it's been around her. And Mark has led her, their family that way. It's just so cool to see. Um, and even though today uh, is the first day you're hearing Mark speak, it is not the first time that you're being led by Mark because Mark has been um, a partner. He's been a, 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 an angel on our shoulder for the past couple years at 514 Church. He's been involved in some of our leadership team meetings. He came in a couple weeks ago and sat with our leadership team for two full days. 
and uh, he's great at strategy and leadership development, and he has just breathed life into me and to our leaders at 514 Church, our staff. And he believes in this place. He loves this place. He, he, one of the reasons I want him to come and communicate with you is because from a distance, he sees what we are, and he believes in it so much that he just wants to be a little piece and a part of it any way he can, any way he can help. And he's already been a huge help. And this morning, he's going to be a huge, huge help to you no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. He is going to um, speak to you today. So with uh, a huge, warm welcome, please, I want to invite Mark to come up and speak to you guys. Give him a big hand. Um, We're so grateful that he's here today. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, everybody. Really good to be here. I love your church. Uh, Joel isn't making that up. I really do. I've visited several times. We've been over to see Carmen and Brad and my son Johnny, and so I usually sit in the back. And uh, it's great for me to be able to come and just go to church instead of having to lead, you know. And God has just spoken to my soul. It's been good for my soul to be here. And I love your staff team. You guys are in great hands. You know that, right? And as we've uh, gathered together with your staff team and looked at the future, um, I, th- I think it's unlimited for you guys as a church. I really do. I believe that to the core of my being, that I think that God is going to use this church to reach this great city in ways that probably none of us right now, you guys, can really imagine. But if you, if you guys will really lean into your leadership's direction here and get behind it, the sky's the limit for what God is going to do through 514. So again, it's an honor for me to be here with you. Um, and before we get into what I want to talk about, you know, I'm a grandparent, Joel says, so I got to show you my grandkids, right? So check this out here. There's our crew. Now, also my lovely wife, Rhonda. And uh, you might, if you know Carmen and Brad, you recognize a couple of them. This little girl, Scarlett, she lives here. This is Nora and Kenna McKenna's. And they were all, some of you know the story. All three of our daughters had those little girls the same year, the same month, in the month of March. It was, it was so much fun for all that to happen. So, uh, and then Carmen sends me pictures like this every now and then and says, Dad, I have your twin at our house. You think she looks like me? So I show you this picture because I'm asking you to pray for this sweet little girl that she will not continue to look like me as she goes through her life. we got to get her away from this. So, All right, well, I want to talk to you today about uh, a reality in our lives that, unfortunately, we all face. And I want to start with a question. Do you remember that day or that season or that time in your life where something changed and you knew your life was never going to be the same? We all have this this like preferred future in our minds of how we want our life to be, how we want it to play out. We talk to God about it, and we're hoping and dreaming that what we think would be a great future for us, almost like a plan A, would be awesome if God would bring that about. And then something happens, unexpected, surprising, shocking, and all of a sudden our plan A gets put on the back shelf, and we get forced into a plan B reality, whether we like it or not. And I want to talk to you about that reality that happens to all of us, how we get forced into these plan Bs. Plan Bs are, they're almost always unexpected. They're surprising most of the time. Honestly, we don't like them. We don't want them in our lives, but we don't have 
any choice when they come crashing into our lives. And sometimes they're even shocking. We had this happen in an extremely shocking way in our church family a few years ago. Uh, About six of our staff team went to Haiti, and we also sent about six more volunteers with them to be a part of a outreach crusade, if you will, out in the middle of nowhere in Haiti. Our team went and built the stage, did all the worship music for these evening meetings, did programming for children, um, set up sound system, ran it by generators, very remote. But they, they had done this for a couple years, and thousands of people started showing up. So the second year when our team went, they broadcasted it on the Haitian public radio uh, dial station so that more people could hear it. And so the third night of the event, our team got done leading worship and the, the, uh, the event came to a close that night. They went back to the place they were staying and, you know, just kind of talked a little bit and then got ready for bed. They all went to sleep. And one of the guys on our team is uh, like a man's man type guy, rides Harleys and loves being out in the woods and all that. So he he likes sleeping out under the stars. So he would take a, a twin mattress out on a deck outside the area where our team was, and he would sleep out there by himself under the stars. And so he's out there, and about 3 in the morning this night, he is awakened to uh, a gun being pointed right in his face. And he, he kind of, you know, opens his eyes, he looks around, he's shocked what's going on, and there's like six or eight Haitian guys surrounding him, and in broken English, they're, they're demanding that he gets them inside where the rest of our team is. They had heard that our team was there through the broadcast on public radio, and so they were coming to rob our team and who knows what else. So I mentioned he was a man's man, and at one point, as they're trying to get him up and get him to open the door, he, he just snaps and he, he starts going crazy. And somehow he breaks loose of their hold. He runs over to the door. He starts pounding on the door and screaming, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. You've got to let me in. You've got to let me in. And obviously the rest of our guys were awakened and startled. So one of our guys runs out to the door and he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And he quickly realizes that this guy, Bruce, is in trouble and so he, he opens the door and he grabs his arm and he's in a tug of war with three or four other Haitians to get this guy inside. And in a moment of just like maybe adrenaline-induced strength or maybe supernatural strength, who knows, he somehow gets Bruce out of their grasp and he pulls him inside. And when they got back in the States, I saw Bruce's arm, no joke, you guys, his arm right here, it was just black and blue with a complete bruise all the way around it of where my friend grabbed him and pulled him in. And so they pull him in, and they're going to slam the door so these guys can't get, get in. And they get the door almost shut, but right at the last second, these Haitians put a crowbar in the door so they can't get it completely shut. So at this point, more of our guys are out in this kitchen area. Two of our guys get on that door, and they're trying to keep it shut as the Haitians are trying to push it open. They can't push our guys back, so they stick one of their guns in the door, and they just start firing away. 
They shoot one of our guys in the hand, another guy in the leg. And then there were windows on both sides of the door. They start busting out these windows and just spraying this, this room with gunfire. They later on found close to 100 empty shells from the bullets that they were shooting into this area. And our guys were, were now shot and wounded, so they're having trouble keeping this door closed. So a couple of our other guys were crawling on their stomachs trying to stay under the gunfire, one guy felt a bullet actually go through his hair as he's crawling on the floor. They get over to a refrigerator and they start, they get behind it and they start crawling behind it. And while they're doing that, another guy is shot in the arm, another guy is shot in the leg, but they get it over to that door, they tip it over and they're able to block the door. But our guys have no weapons, so they're like, you know, at some point they're going to come through these windows. They, they didn't know what to do. They, they had uh, full-size Coke bottles. You remember those? They're throwing these things out the window at these guys, trying to, to get them to go away. And one guy went in the back bedroom area, and he starts to call the missionary who's about a quarter of a mile, or three-quarters of a mile away to get him to come and help. But the cell reception's so bad in Haiti that he doesn't get through. So he knows the only thing he can do is he has to jump out of the bedroom window and run to get help. Now, they're on the second level, and it's about a 15-foot drop, but he just, you know, kind of sucks it up, and he, he jumps down. He lands on his feet. Miraculously, he doesn't break any bones. He runs, gets the missionary, who had a couple guns, so they both get armed, and they, they come charging back to where our team was, and they... No joke, they get into like an old Western movie shootout with these Haitian guys trying to get them to stop. And finally, they convince them that they're not going to get inside. And so the Haitians run away. And our guys, are, we had women on this team who are they're traumatized. Um, here's some pictures of the aftermath of the area. Uh, this is the door here. And, of course, the refrigerator there. And the window was over here that they broke out as they're shooting in another picture down the hallway where they're shooting through another one, uh, and you can see some of that. And then the, our team is, they, they want to get out of Haiti, right? I mean, who wouldn't after this? And so uh, they knew that they couldn't get any flights quickly, but there's a guy that from our church on this team that works for a company in our area called Beck's Hybrid Seed. We're in farm country over there. So this is a, a multi-billion dollar company, if you can believe it, who sells seed to farmers, soybean, corn, all that kind of stuff. And they actually own property in the Cayman Islands, which isn't too far away from Haiti. And they actually have a, a couple corporate jets. And they employ four uh, pilots full-time to fly farmers down to the Caymans. And they wine and dine them to try to get them to, to buy seed. And it's, it's rough being a farmer. Have you realized that? And so they actually had some farmers at, at their property in the Cayman Islands. So our guy who works for Bex called them and said, could you please send the, the jet over to get our team? And the owner of Bex said, oh, absolutely, we'll, we'll do it. And so they, sent, they tried to get them clearance to get in, but they couldn't get clearance because it was a private jet company and all this. So, no joke, somebody knows one of the Indianapolis Colts at the time, Pierre Garçon, who is from Haiti, and they call him, uh, someone from Bex knew him, and they call him, and he was able to call somebody that he knew in the higher-up uh, government area in Haiti, and they got clearance. So they sent that jet uh, down and back, down and back to get our people, and here they are on that private jet 
coming back. And the miraculous part of this whole story, nobody was fatally wounded. Of course, they were traumatized. Um, Yeah, that's worth clapping for. And... um, and then as a church, I mean, it was, it was such a, a galvanizing moment for us because we're left with this question, are we ever going to go back to Haiti again, right? I mean, is it wise for us to do that? But after a lot of thought and prayer, we've actually uh, been sending people back there and we've been able to help a guy build a school for left-behind kids. And some of these people have actually gone back to Haiti and been part of other mission trips. But you talk about a plan A mission trip that <clears throat> turned into a plan B nightmare. It was unbelievable. And although this is a dramatic story, you guys, all of us could stand up here and tell our plan B stories. Hopefully they're not this dramatic, but everybody gets put into these situations throughout your life. I've Just in the past couple weeks, two good friends of mine, one called me and said, hey, can you pray for me? I just found out I lost my job. They're, they're phasing what I do out, and he's 60 years old, and he's like, I don't know who's going to hire a 60-year-old guy at the level of income I was at. And then another guy called me and said, can my wife and I come in and talk to you, which I knew something was up when he wanted to bring his wife. And sure enough, he had found out in the same day that he had lost his job. They were going to phase it out at the end of this year, coming up in the next couple of weeks. And he also found out that day that uh, they found cancer in his kidneys. So he's, you know, just in the turmoil of that plan B reality that's going on. And again, it happens to all of us, you guys. There's not anyone who is immune from these kind of things that come into our lives. And they're always unexpected. And they're they're always things that none of us want. Um, My wife, she actually experienced a just an unbelievable plan B reality in her early adult years. She was born in Mount Vernon, Ohio, not too far from here, right? And her grandparents had a dairy farm over there. And her dad, through his career, he got shipped to different uh, cities, and he ended up in our town in Kokomo, Indiana. And one Christmas, they decided to go back to Mount Vernon to the dairy farm with their grandparents to celebrate Christmas with them. And Rhonda had married her high school sweetheart, and uh, she was now pregnant, three months pregnant, with our oldest daughter, Sarah. And so they go over on Christmas Eve, and her husband and her brother went out on Christmas Eve day to go hunting out in the woods in the farm there. And her husband went up in a tree stand, and he had an old gun that his grandfather had given him. And he leaned it up against the tree, and somehow... I don't know if he bumped it or what happened, but somehow he, the gun uh, fell off the stand and it went down and when it hit the ground, it went off instantly and it shot him in the head and he was killed in that moment. So here's uh, my wife. I mean, can you imagine this? Christmas Eve, three months pregnant, newly married, and she goes from this plan A of dreaming about what their life was going to be like together with this new baby, to in a moment she becomes a single parent. It's an unbelievable story of what can happen in life. And again, we all know about these. And and what I really want to say to you today is that if you find yourself in a plan B, maybe you're on the front end of one, maybe you're in the midst of one, It is so critical when you're in these situations 
to be careful about what they do to your relationship with God because they can mess up your relationship with God. So many people, when a plan becomes, they, they don't understand why God, they think, has allowed this. Or why doesn't he care? Or why won't he fix it? Or why won't he do something to make this pain go away? And it's so easy to drift from God in a plan B versus what I want to encourage you to do, and that is to run into the presence and the person of God during a plan B. It's so important that in a plan B, we, we find our, our faith being anchored in the identity of God and not just focused on our circumstances. And I know it's hard to do, you guys. It's really hard to do. And some of you who may be in one of these realities right now are saying, yeah, right. But it's so critical that in plan B's, your faith, your trust is, is resting and anchored in God, who God is, what God has promised, who, what his character is, who you know him to be through his word versus being totally focused on your circumstances. And if you can hold on to the identity of God, what you'll find out, I believe, in plan B's is that God does his best work in our plan B realities. He really does if we can hold on long enough to realize that. I think one of the greatest plan B stories in Scripture comes to us out of the life of Moses. Most of you know his story. God comes to him one day in that miraculous burning bush experience, and God has a plan B assignment, if you will, for Moses. And if you know his story, Moses didn't like it. He didn't want to do it, which none of us, as I said earlier, really are like eager to be led into a plan B assignment or reality when we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of it. But Moses, you know, he, he realizes at one point he doesn't have a choice, and At the end of his story, you'll see he realizes that God really did do his best work in his life through his plan B. But he's 80 years old. He encounters God through this burning bush. God gives him the assignment to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, away from Pharaoh and the oppressive leadership and all that. And uh, Moses gets a lot of criticism for not wanting to do it. But when you kind of dig a little bit deeper and understand what this assignment meant, you can give him a little bit of grace, I think, because... He's asked to lead thousands of people who have been slaves their entire existence, generation after generation of slaves. And guys, if you live in slavery, that reality marks you. You distrust authority, right? You're skeptical of anybody who wants to lead you. You don't believe that they have your best interest in mind. So these are the people that Moses is asked to lead. And of course, he doesn't really want to do this plan B assignment, but he does. He realizes that he really doesn't have a choice. And so he starts to lean into it. And I love this piece of his story that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But as he's leaning into this this challenge, this leadership challenge, the Bible says that he would often go and meet with God in this place called the Tent of Meetings. It was his sacred space with God. Sidebar, do you have a space like that in your life? That place you go where you meet with God? I've got a chair in my home office. I have met with God in that place, prayed, cried, 
dreamed. I mean, it, it really is a sacred space in my life between God and I in, in my office there. And Moses has this in the tent of meetings. And, this, and Scripture says that in this place, listen to this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. I love that. It's such a beautiful description of this vast, amazing God that we have, that he longs to come to us in the midst of our lives in a very intimate and real way and communicate with us as a friend, a caring friend would communicate to another friend. So Moses goes to this place often to figure out this plan B assignment. And he asked God for three things that we'll see in this text in Exodus 33. Things that will uh, continue to motivate him to lean into the plan B that, that God has given him. Things that will give him drive to keep going. And, and I believe things that will encourage us to hang in there in our plan B so that we will discover that God does his best work in our plan Bs. We'll pick it up in uh, verse 12 of Exodus 33. One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me that I, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And then verse 13, If it is true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. In other words, you got me into this, God. You got to get me through this. So the first thing he asks, you see it there in verse 15, he says, God, let me know your ways. God, teach me how to lead through this plan B that I find myself in right now. He, he didn't come from the culture that God's people came from. He grew up in privilege. These are slaves. So culturally, he didn't understand their world, so he's just saying to God, God, you've got to teach me how these people think, what they value, what they're skeptical of. You've got to show me how to lead through this if you really want me to accomplish this. Let me know your ways. And you guys, it's such a great prayer for us to pray as well. Whatever your plan B reality is, it will force you into new behavior. Are you with me on this? New challenges demand that we function differently. We have to, or we're not going to survive. It's almost like our new normal. We hate to admit it, but it becomes our new normal. And now we've got to function differently. And, and God is, is, I believe, you know, longing to answer that prayer that Moses asked when he says, teach me your way. So wh wherever you find yourself today, whether it's a plan B marriage reality, uh, maybe a, an unfortunate plan B divorce reality, or something at work that, that just came out of nowhere, or maybe it's some relational junk or dysfunction that you're trying to work through with a friend or family member or whatever, wherever you find yourself, ask God, to teach you how to lean into this and get through it. Don't run away from God in it. Don't run to something else that the culture says will meet the need in your life that only God can meet for you. Let a plan B draw you closer in your relationship and your walk with God. Go after him and demand, as Moses did, that he teaches you how to do this. In our early days of our church, uh, about... 
a couple years in, things were going pretty well. We were running like 300 people in that range. We started with six families in a living room. So it was an unbelievable journey those first couple years, like a honeymoon, if you will. And then about year three and four, the wheels started to wobble. It got really hard. And people were starting to get tired. We were a portable church, and people were getting tired of set up and the demands of, of all of that kind of reality. I was a really green leader. Uh, back in those days, there weren't really any books written about church leadership and church growth and all that. So I, I, I felt like I was just trying to find my way with this new con- concept of a church, but not really knowing what to do. And I, I remember uh, getting to a point where in that three and four year point, we went from like 300 down to 80 which is bad in church work if you haven't figured that out yet. And I just, I wanted to quit. I really did. I was so discouraged, and I would talk to my wife late into the night, trying to get her to agree with me that we should just, you know, let this thing die out and move on to something else. But it was her faith that just kept, you know, pushing us ahead in it. And so at one point, in one of my darkest moments, I was in our office that some rented facilities were at. And I was just, I literally asked God to release me from the call of this church. I just wanted out of it. And I distinctly remember him, not in audible terms, right, but just giving me that, that impression from the Holy Spirit that if I left this church at this point, I would be just flat out disobeying the call um, that he had on my life. And that, you know, he never guaranteed to be easy. But this is what I made you to do. So you have to stay at it. So I, I said, all right, I will. But you've got to show me how to do this, God. I don't know how to do it. You've got to teach me. So I started calling guys who were better at it than I was and getting coaching for them and, and trying to learn leadership. And I, I started reading like it was my job, and I never really read much at all. And I remember reading this statement one time back in those days where an author said, right decisions done repeatedly over time compound success. You can take that to the bank, friends, right there. Right decisions, making the right choices over and over and over again create success and and fruitfulness in your life. So I hung on to that, and I was like, God, help me to make the right decisions. And then things began to slowly turn. People started coming, and people started finding Christ. And I mean, just incredible stories of life change started happening in front of us, like like God stories that only God could do. And I, I remember uh, one of these stories early on. In fact, we're on a new uh, kind of journey to take some new ground as a church. So we pulled together uh, some of our inner circle of leaders at some home meetings at, at my house this last month. And at one of those meetings, there was a couple that showed up at the meeting who have been at the church since the early days. And I remember looking at that night across the room at them and just reflecting on their amazing story. And their story is the wife started coming to church before the husband. He never went to church. He was a leader of uh, UAW organizations in the manufacturing worlds in our area, a big automotive town over there. And so very colorful dude, never thought he would ever go to church. Wife starts coming. He comes occasionally, kind of she's dragging him in. Their marriage is a mess. And late one night around midnight, they call me and ask me if I can come over to their house and talk to them because their marriage is about to dissolve. And so I come over there, and we start talking, and we're talking about their marriage and, the you know, why it's not working and all that. And at one point, I just got a leading from God to just, like, go for broke. And I turned to him. I said, Mike, if you don't let God into your life, 
your life is never going to work, let alone your marriage. You need Christ in your life. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And so I, I tried the best I could to unpack it for him. And I said, right now, you need, you need to invite Christ into your life. And so it all made sense to him, and he did. He literally got down on his knees at their couch, and I was next to him. And he prayed to ask Christ into his life. And then we got up, you know, hugged and embraced, and I started talking to him about what this new journey is going to look like and all that. And there's going to be some changes in his life, but it's a process, and, you know, coach him through it and all that. And right in that moment, he looks at me and he says, um, I need to make a change right now. And his wife looks at him like she doesn't know what he's talking about. And I didn't either. And I'm like, well, what is it? And he's like, I could tell you didn't want to say what it was. So he's like, could you go somewhere with me right now? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we get in the car. It's about 1.32 in the morning. We drive to another home. And I'm like, what is this? He goes, well, it's another home that I own that my wife doesn't know I own. I'm like, oh, really? And he goes, if you could just, like, go inside with me because I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to chicken out and not do this if you're not here with me. So we go, we open the door, he turns on the light, there's a lady sleeping on the couch in the living room, and she's kind of startled and awakened, and she's trying to figure out what's going on, and he goes over to her, and he gets down on one knee, and he starts telling her that they have to break this off, that he's made changes in his life, and he can't do this anymore, and she's like, what? And at one point, she's like, who is that? Pointing at me, (laughs) and I'm like... Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, he's my pastor. She's like, pastor? I didn't know you had a pastor. What is that? And he's like, yeah, it's a new change in my life. Okay, so now, you guys, 30-some years later, they're happily married, a great family, grandkids, and it's such an awesome story of what can happen when, you know, in a plan B we hang in there with God, and we ask him to show us how to get through this. I, again, I don't know where you're at, but don't walk away from God. Stay close to him. Get closer to him than you've ever been if you're in a plan B reality right now. Ask him to show you his ways. Second thing Moses does, back to the text here. He, he goes to God again in these conversations, and in... Uh, Verse 13 through 15, he says, God, if it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways. And down to verse 14, the Lord replied, Moses, I'll personally go with you. I'll give you rest. Everything's going to be fine. God's just reassuring him it's going to be okay. Then Moses says, God, here's the deal. If you don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. If you're not going with us, I don't want to go. We don't want to go. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people apart from all other people on the earth. You know what he's asking for here? He's asking for a guarantee of God's presence in his plan B reality. He's asking God to not let him do this alone. Like, God, you've got to walk with me, okay? You've called me to do this. So please, go before me every step of the way. Let me know that you're with me all along the way. He's looking for guidance and security and hope and just resource in the midst of a plan B, which we all need, the presence of God in it. When Carm was a a real little uh, girl, 
I had the responsibility of putting her to bed at night because back then it's like we were having kids it felt like every other week. Some of you I know you're in that mode right now. And our youngest, Johnny and Carmen, they're a year and a week apart. And so Johnny was like, a, Rhonda comes in and tells me, I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So she would put him to bed at night, and I put Carm to bed. And so we, I had a blue chair in our great room. And so I had the sheer joy. It was one of my favorite parts of my day. I will get in that blue chair with her little bottle, pop that thing in, and her little eyes look up at me. And she would, you know, down that bottle and just drift to sleep. And a lot of times I would just sit there with her and just pray over life and uh, just thank God for the privilege, you know, of raising her and, and uh, just, you know, you know what it's like to be a parent, right? Um, and obviously I'm getting a little moved by it right now. But um, as she got older, I still kept putting her to bed. And so she's a little bit structured and a little bit organized and all that. And when she went to bed, she had to have her covers up you know, right in this area, and the specific stuffed dolls that made her feel safe had to be on both sides of her head. And so we'd say our prayers, get all that lined up, and I'd, I'd get up to go. And as I went to the door, she's like, Daddy, don't close the door all the way. So I had to, had to leave it, like, open that much because she could look through there and see me in the blue chair. And then she would ask me one more question, really important question. Daddy, where are you going to be? I'm like, well, you, I'm going to be in the blue chair, right? You know where that is. I'm going to be right over there. And then she asked me one more question. How long are you going to be in the blue chair? And I would lie. <laughs> and I would say for a long, 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 long time, you know? You know what she was saying? You're going to be close by? You're going to be close by, right, Dad? And this is what Moses said, God, just guarantee. I mean, I'll do this. I'll do the best I can. Be with me in it, God. Guarantee me your presence. And again, God loves answering those prayers, you guys, when we get into plan Bs. And then he asked for one more thing. We'll wrap up with this. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you've asked. I'll show you. I'll teach you my ways. I'll guarantee you presence because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses asked for one more thing. He says, God, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. You know what he's asking for there? Glory is an old school word that uh, it describes a person's value, right? And their worth. What they're made up of. So he's, he's tapping in to all that God is. The glory of God. The majesty of God. The vastness of God. The power of God. The presence of God. And he says, God, as I lead, show up with all that you are in this situation. He's like, make it rain, God, on this journey that you've got me on right now. He's like, God, I need you to be what only you can be so that I can do what you're calling me to do. And you guys, in a plan B, do we need this or what? The power of God, the provision of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God to to help us get through these challenging seasons in our life. And again, God longs to answer that prayer for his children. Do you believe that? He longs to answer it. Is there a parent in the house when your kid comes to you and asks you for help? Don't you love that? Don't, aren't you just so grateful that they've come to you for that kind of help? That's how your God feels about you. He longs to give you all that he is in your reality. 
even if your screw-ups and bad decisions created your reality. He'll redeem all of that as he shows his glory and power as only he can in what is going on in your life. And I said it earlier, he does his best work in our plan B's. And he did it for Moses, you guys. I mean, he answered those prayers. Moses' story was incredible. Miracles that God did through his leadership, unbelievable. He goes from this timid guy who didn't want the plan B assignment to this developed leader that got God's people to the final destination of the promised land. And God will do the same thing for you and for me if we'll hang on long enough to, to, to hold out, to realize that God does do his best work in our plan Bs. Don't bail on God before you experience the truth of who he can be in a plan B. And you know what, what I've seen happen in my own life and so many people's lives over the years is you get forced into a plan B. You don't want it, but you hang on and you go after God and God shows up and provides as only he can. And then you get on the other side of it and you look back at it all and you realize that what you thought was this unwanted plan B was really, it was really God's plan A for your life. And he knew what he was doing all along the way as he was writing his story through your story. So hang in there, you guys. If, you're, if you find yourself in one today, go after God. Let me pray for you as we close out today. God, we are so thankful for who you are, this personal, real, powerful, available God. And I just pray for these great people, maybe some here today who are just hanging on, that you would allow today to be that point where they turn and they go after you like they never have before. And may they realize, God, that you are the God of the plan Bs. You are the the God who does your most incredible work in the midst of our plan Bs. We love you, God. We thank you for this great church. And we pray your richest blessing on it in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.